Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the time that we have been able to spend already this morning in worship. I thank you for the opportunity we have to open your word and to be both encouraged and challenged by your truth through your Holy Spirit because of our relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that because of our time together that we would be more like your Son, that we would be more kind and more compassionate, that we would be more gentle and more honest. Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have to sing together and to acknowledge that your Son, Jesus Christ, is worthy, and I pray that through this time that we worship you in spirit and in truth, and that because of it we would say that it is good to be in the house of God. And we love you, we thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, good morning, and it is good to be with you, my brothers and my sisters. Um, as I was singing, um, it, it dawned on me that 16 years and 11 months ago, uh, I walked in these, these doors, um, a broken and a bruised um, and an immature uh, young believer who had lived his 20s riotously, uh, addictively, emotionally uh, in pain, my family had moved over a thousand miles away. I was, I was running from myself and my own consequences, and I found myself here at the corner of Golf and Roselle Road. And when I walked in these doors, the 4th of July, Independence Day of 2005, I found family. This is my family. But to you, when you hear the word family, What comes to mind? It might be that it's those who were born to the same parent. It might be this this idea or this this affect of, of love or closeness, intimacy. Maybe it's happiness. For most of it, it might be conflict. All of those things are in that idea of family, but when we, when we hear the word family, what do we think of? Because family matters, and we're going to find that in Mark chapter 3, family is a very big deal. And so what Jesus is doing in this section of Scripture is going to blow the minds of the readers and the hearers. It's going to change the trajectory of what Jesus is, is, is openly teaching and saying. And he knows that. And so what Mark does is he, he uses all of these tools to be able to highlight this idea of family and the place of it in regards to the eternal family. So when I think of family, what do we think of? Family matters. The, the way that you think about your family, who you are, where you came from, and then where you're going, it impacts the way that you interact with the world. The way that you see yourself, where you came from, will impact the way that you interact with the world. In fact, you know, 85% of youth in prison came from broken families. 71% of high school dropouts and 90% of all homeless children are from broken homes. Right now, this morning, as we sit here, there are over 25 million children just in the United States who don't live with their biological dad. And 60% of youth suicides come from broken families. 
So family matters. How we identify ourselves and who we, we see ourselves coming from and, 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 and belonging to matters in the way that we act. And God knows this from the beginning. It's clear from the beginning. Families are to be complete with a mom and a dad, loving and nurturing, guiding one another back to God. Yet we see this brokenness everywhere, especially in our families. We see the, the harshness. We see the impatience. We see the disobedience. We see the apathy. We see the divorce. Some of us have never experienced family here on earth. Others have had family experience shattered through tragedy and, and singleness and, and widowhood. Uh, that's common. A part of our heart longs for family. And that's what this text is all about. It's, it's all about recalibrating and, and redefining, in a way, what is family. And so this is the big idea this morning. There is room in the family of God for you. There's room in the family of God for you. And because we've been made a part of that family, we invite others into the family. We, we, we enjoy the benefits. We enjoy the, the accountability, the responsibility. We enjoy the closeness and the intimacy. And some of us even enjoy the conflict of family. And so we invite others into the crazy thing we call family. Because we have been affected by family. We do this through intentionally inviting and making room for others. See, because we're in the family of God, that determines the way we interact with others. Now, we reach out to others, and we invite them into the family of God. We invite them into our families. So, a very simple outline for today. Uh, really, we'll be in Mark chapter 3. You can turn there if you haven't already. Mark chapter 3. We'll be in a very short passage, verses 31 to 35. We'll see the approach of Jesus in verse 31, the approach of Jesus' mothers and brothers in verse 31. Then we'll see Jesus asking this question in verse 33. And then we'll finally see Jesus give an answer in verses 34 and 35. So let's jump into the text and then we'll, we'll talk through that. So Mark chapter 3, verse 31 through 35. And his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called and said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my mother and my brother and my sister. So we're picking up this scene. You can see this in point one with the approach of his, of his family. We're picking this up out of uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 21. So if you want to look up there, Mark chapter 3, verse 21, it says this. And when his family heard it, heard what was going on with Jesus naming the 12 disciples, and, and, and really, as, as Pastor Ken was talking about, uh, recreating this, this sort of religious uh, sect, this religious movement, and, and so his family comes down, and they say, uh, like Pastor Dave said, uh, he's gone mad. 
He's out of his mind. We have to go draw him away and, and get him out of the way because he's, he's not making any sense anymore. And so, verse 21, and when his family heard this, they went out to seize him, and they were saying he is out of his mind. He's mad. So we're picking up the scene from there, and now we're going down to verse 31. And this is a section that's bookended by this family idea. This isn't an accident. This is the way that Jewish writers would highlight a main point. So Mark 3.21 is that first bookend. That's going to catch our attention. And, and then there's this paragraph in the middle about the religious leaders and the unforgivable sin in verses 22 to 30. So Pastor Ken reminded us about that last week. The big idea of this section is, pop quiz, anybody remember? God delights in forgiving sins. We, we get distracted, we think about the unforgivable sin, but the big idea is that, that Jesus is saying that all sins will be forgiven. That, that there's a way for your sins to be forgiven. That's the big idea. And so Pastor Ken reminded us of that last week, but it's in the middle of this framing technique. So the big idea this week is that there is room for you in the family of God. The idea is the same. The thing that matters most is not who you are. It's not where you were born or what you've done. What matters most is you're seeking forgiveness for your sin and you're being placed in the family of God. There is room for you in the family of God and God delights in forgiving. That's what the whole section is about here in Mark chapter 3, verses 21 down through 35. So now let's look back at verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came and standing outside... They sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. The big idea is that outsiders aren't always who you would expect. Outsiders aren't always who you would expect. If anyone would be an insider to Jesus, it would be his family. But, and this is it's very important to see, we see his family on the outside. It says in verse 31, they were standing outside and they sent and called to him. They can't get to Jesus. They're not inside. And this is a good point to, to bring up that Jesus had brothers and sisters. We, we see that here in this text. And then also if you're in Mark, you can just flip maybe a page over to Mark chapter 6. Uh, verses 2 and 3. Mark chapter 6, 2 and 3. We're, we're talking about a natural family here who, who would have that natural ability to, to be on the inside. And Jesus is teaching. He is surprising the people in his hearing uh, with his wisdom, with his gifts. And, and they say this. Many who heard him were astonished. This is 6, 2. Saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus had brothers and sisters. As naturally as he was the son of Mary... He was naturally the brother of these four, and he was the brother of the sisters that Mary had after Jesus. 
Now, I understand that some of you have been taught that Mary had only one son, and this is a big problem. And so if you have family or friends and and you're talking through uh, that type of a doctrine, you can go to Mark chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. And and I think it's very plain that Jesus had a family, a regular family. Jesus supported uh, the family, uh, a husband and a wife for one life, raising children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We, We see that all through the Scripture. He lived a life just as you and I did, just as his brothers did, except without sin. Yet, we see here in Mark chapter 3, what we see in John chapter 7, when it says, even his own brothers did not believe him. And so, that is what places them outside. Why is Jesus' family on the outside? It's because they did not see Jesus as worthy of all blessing and honor and glory. The thing that places someone outside of the family of God is not seeing Jesus as worthy. That is the thing that places someone outside the family of God. It's not seeing that Jesus is worthy of all blessing and honor and glory. It's it's only Jesus. It's, It's all Jesus. It's not other gods and Jesus. It's not my good deeds and Jesus. It's not my personality and Jesus. It's only and all and alone Jesus. That's what takes us from the outside to the inside. It's above religious affiliation. It's before, above and before all else. And so if his own family is on the outside, then who can be on the inside? And that really is a great question. That's the question that Jesus now is going to ask and to answer. And so you can look back with me in the text. I'll start in verse 32, but we're going to come down to his question in verse 33. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? Insiders are not always who you would expect. These who are sitting around him, these insiders, if you were, they, uh, the, the Greek word means that they're sitting in him around, uh, around Jesus in concentric circles, so tight that, that Jesus' family can't get in to him. Those who are around him, he, he looks and he asks, who are my mother and my brothers? Have you ever been blown away by a question? Why am I even here? Who would miss me if I disappeared? Why do you even care? What do you want me to do? There's so much in the questions that people ask. Often they ask because they already feel that they know the answer. And yet it's so hard for them to to, to drum up the courage to, to confess how they're feeling. And so they say it through questions. They ask you questions to draw you into the conversation. They they ask you questions to 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 see if you'll come alongside of them and, and give them an answer. 
that can challenge the answer that is in their minds. Now, when we look at Jesus' question, who are my mother and my brothers? This, this would blow the original hearers away. We, in our 2,000-year-old exercise of Christianity, we don't, we don't hear the weight of this. If I was to ask you, who are my mother and my brothers? And you would say, well, Deanne Rao in Texas. And you would say, Scott and Christy Lowry. That's who you would say are my, my, my brothers, my sisters, my mother. Naturally. Now, because we've grown up in church, I call, I've, I've called many of, of the guys, uh, brothers, this morning as we're, we're talking and we're coming together. Uh, it's kind of our Christianese. It's kind of a, a Christian terminology that we use now. But what Jesus was doing here was revolutionary. He was resetting who those on the inside and those on the outside are. They would say, Jesus, it's obvious who your mother and your brothers are. They're the ones you grew up with. That, uh, you know your mother, she's, she's right outside. She's the one who gave birth to you. She is the one who fed you and bathed you and taught you the, the basics of, of life. Yet Jesus asked the question. Jesus asked the question, who are my mother and my brothers? And Jesus asked a lot of questions. If you're in Mark chapter 3, just on the same page to the left, Mark chapter 3, verse 4, uh, Jesus is being uh, criticized for the way that he's operating on the Sabbath, and he asks this question, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? You could go to the other page, Mark chapter uh, 4, verse 21, and he said, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Did you answer those questions in your mind? Is, is it right to kill? Is it right to harm or to do good on the Sabbath? To do good. Do you, do you bring a lamp in to put it under the bed or under a bushel? Or do you cut, bring it in to put it on a stand? Do you bring it in to put it on a stand? You know, when your brain is thinking about a question, it can't think about anything else. Now, that's really important because what we see is that it happens in an instant. And so I say, what color is your house? And what are you thinking about? Maybe you're annoyed that I'm asking you about the color of your house on a Sunday morning, but you're probably, at least that flash in your mind, you're saying it's green, what's the big deal? Right. Your, your, your brain operates and thinks through questions so quickly it's not even conscious. Questions hijack your thoughts. Your mind immediately searches for an answer. Jesus uses questions to draw the hearers into that moment. Now, this is really important for, for so many reasons. As counseling pastor here at Bethel, um, one of the reasons, honestly, is because this is how anxiety, depression, and shame hijack our minds at times. It's by the questions that we ask. We, we hear these questions sometimes in our own hearts, in our own minds, sometimes in our friends, and those who are maybe even here today. Anxiety will, will raise the question, what if I mess up? What if it goes wrong? What if I don't turn on my microphone before I get to the platform? And the answer comes immediately. And don't, don't even try. 
then you won't mess up. Or maybe uh, these depressive type of questions. Why, why Why are things so bad? Why are things so disappointing? Why do things never work out? And the answer comes very quickly. Because nobody cares about you. And it's all hopeless. We, we get that cycle of those questions and those answers coming over and over and over again in our mind. Maybe shame. Why am I so weak? Why do I always fall? To, why, not why do I always fall, but why am I always a failure? Why am I always so stupid? And the thought comes very quickly. Disappear. Hide. It'd make everybody's life easier. My brothers and sisters, there are people in this room, and frankly, there are people on this platform that think about these questions sometimes. We're in that together. Now, a question for you is, what is the difference between a believer and an unbeliever? Well, it's this. A believer always has a place to go. They always have family to turn to. We go back to the same questions, the anxiety question. What if I mess up? What if I don't do perfectly? What's the option to shutting down and and freezing up? It's that Jesus' power is perfected in my weakness. What about those depressive questions that that come into our mind? Why is this so bad? Why are things so disappointing? And, And we can remember that Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. Maybe it's shame. Again, why am I so weak? Why am I so, so stupid? Why am I such a failure? And Jesus is not ashamed to call me his sister or his brother. We can speak truth to ourselves whenever we believe those things about ourselves and about others and the world. Those will be the immediate answers to those questions. So how you honestly answer those questions about where you come from, who your family is, and where you're going to go, uh, forgiveness, that determines how you're going to act. And so believer, you always have a place to go in the family of God. You are not alone. The church is here to help. To be Christ to you in the flesh, his hands and his feet. You can reach out. You can include yourself in the family. And church family, you can invite others in to your family. Because we've been invited into the family of God. There's room for us, and so we make room for others. Jesus asked questions to focus the hearer on the topic at hand. That's why he's asking this question. He's wanting to, to focus their attention on this moment because Jesus is about to change the game. He's about to blow their minds. He, he knows this. He knows exactly what he's saying. He knows exactly what he's doing. And then he delivers the answer. Look back with me in Mark chapter 3, verse 34. And looking about at those who sat around him, he said. He pauses again. Before he speaks, before he gives the answer, he looks around at those in his midst. Again, this is to make a point. Mark is is doing all that he can. He's pulling out every trick in the book to focus your attention on the big idea. He's using the bookends of family. He's using the question of Jesus. He's using this look to draw us in. 
And so the look of Jesus is kind of a Mark thing. It's kind of a Jesus thing. So Mark chapter 3, we were just there, uh, just on the column to the left. In that Sabbath conversation, it says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. So I have three kids. There have been a couple of times in my parenting experience where they have, they have looked at me and then they have done the thing that they shouldn't do. You, you know that feeling. Jesus looks intentionally. He stops and he looks. And then he speaks. He does it to draw in the reader. If you could imagine sitting with the Son of God himself, with wisdom itself, himself, and having wisdom stare you in the eyes and then speak. And especially these words. Jesus is looking for a reason. And it's to draw our attention to what he's going to say. So Mark chapter 3, 5, he looks with empathy. If you want to mark these, you can mark 5, 32. He looks around as an invitation. The woman with the issue of blood, and, and he, he stops and he looks, and he says, who has touched me? That woman, I'm sure, would be shy and would be hesitant to, to reach out if he hadn't had done that. But we'll move on. Back in Mark chapter 3, verse 34, The gospel writer is using every one of these these literary tools to get us to the big idea. There is room for you in the family of God, and God delights in forgiving. That is what the whole section is all about. Now, Jesus' answers aren't always what you'd expect, both negatively and positively. We'll look back in, what I'm doing right now is my, my iPad went from 38% to 10% in about 20 minutes. So I'm at 10%, so that's why I'm looking at my phone, in case you're wondering. But we're going to be okay, it's on here too. So, Mark chapter 3, verse 34. And looking around at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my mother, my brother, and my sister, and my mother. Could, could you imagine being there? Maybe that, that awkward pause whenever family is feuding. Jesus just apparently threw a lot of shade at his mother and his brothers. And he said, I know what you're saying. I know you're saying my, my mother and my brothers are, are there. But I'm telling you, after looking, after asking a question, You are my mother and my brothers. If you could imagine just the awkward nature of those who are there saying, okay, are we going to pass this back through the telephone to the outside to get to the parents? Are we going to to actually take that to ourselves and and say that's a a reasonable thing for Jesus to say? This This is unheard of. This is outlandish. But he knows exactly what he's saying He knows exactly what he's doing. He just told those around him 
you are the insiders. And anyone who does not believe in me are the outsiders. And I mean anyone. The thing that matters most is not who you are or where you were born or what you've done. What matters most is seeking forgiveness for your sin and being placed in the family of God by following Christ. I can imagine that group of Christ followers looking around at one another as they've been packed into this home, a a group of thick-knuckled tradesmen, some ex and maybe not so ex-tax collectors, sinners, those who are promiscuous and immoral, recovering religious folk, angry nationalists, all, all sitting around and saying, He's, he's trading us for them. He's, he's giving us priority over them. That's the end group here in Mark chapter 3. And so Jesus is, is being very clear about what he's saying. And if he hasn't been clear enough yet, again, we, we're very surprised at Jesus' tone. So Matthew chapter 10, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 It says this, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And so we would ask, Jesus, what kind of sword have you come to bring? And he says, For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is uncomfortably clear. Jesus is uncomfortably honest about what it is that we are to call as the highest priority. The family of God or the family of our heritage and history. And he says, if you, if you will not leave those heritage and history components as opposed to the family of God components, then you are not worthy of me. Now this, this grinds against our, our, our thoughts. This grinds against everything that we think about the American dream. This is why I have my quarter acre lot with my privacy fence so I can go in the backyard and I can be alone. That's that's why I mow the yard so I can enjoy it. That's why I have time off so I don't have to be around people. And yet, Jesus is saying that it's the family of God that takes priority. Now, we need to strengthen families. We need to encourage families for sure. But we need to see that there is a clear priority to the family of God. So, why is Father not mentioned in the list? We, we see this back in Mark chapter 3, verse 34. He says, And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Now, this is more than a curiosity. In, in one way, this is actually central to the point that we're making and that, that Jesus is making. Jesus uses the father term when when describing earthly relationships. 
He even uses the father term in a spiritual way to describe the Jews when he says, your father is the devil in John 8, 44. So some would say that Joseph must have died during the silent years of Jesus' life, and that's why it's not in the list. I think that's a real possibility, but actually in Matthew chapter 23, verse 9, I think Jesus answers the question. So Matthew chapter 23, verse 9, Jesus says this, Call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Don't call any earthly man your father, for you have one who is your father in heaven. Now, we can't get too far down the rabbit hole with this, but let's just say it's enough to say that who your father is matters. Jesus is saying that when you are in the family of God, you have a royal bloodline. We all have one father when we are in that new covenant in Christ. We're united by blood, God's blood. You are a child of the king. You are an heir of the kingdom and brothers and sisters in Christ, in reality. Not like second cousins, not like embarrassing uncles, not like family reunions every seven years, but like brothers and sisters of the same father. So positively, we see this. You can turn to Galatians Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 puts it this way. In Christ, I'll read it out of, in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. And you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, who who in here would claim to be Christ's? We would want to do that. Amen, right? Then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. There is something that Jesus is, is doing here and saying here that is amazing. The result is family. You can turn to Mark chapter 10, just a couple pages from where we are in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 10. And Jesus positively says it this way. He says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father, right, we get that word, or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. Missing the Father. With persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. This is the truth, that we now have one Father, that we now are co-heirs with Christ, that we now are in reality in eternity, brothers and sisters in Christ. Not just acquaintances. Not just second cousins. Not just crazy uncles. We are brothers and sisters of one household. Is that a reality in your life? Is that a reality in Bethel? Do you feel as though you have hundredfold relationships now because you are attending Bethel or because you are, you are in the family of God? Does that thought ever nag you? Do you wonder why everyone else got the Facebook invite except you? Do you feel distant from the people you are sitting six feet 
away from? Do you even know their names? Your brothers, your sisters. Do you ever wonder, is this the plan? You see, Jesus is more than inviting these people into something. But he is actually expecting something of them. And we we see that here in the text. Look back with me, Mark chapter 3. Verse 35, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and mother. He's expecting something of them. And my brothers and sisters, he's expecting something of us. For for our good, for, for his glory, he's expecting something of us. You see, Jesus is Lord. He's to be obeyed, given all blessing and honor and glory. That's a good thing. Jesus is looking for more than just lip service or a plastic Sunday smile. Jesus closes with the definition of the family in Mark chapter 3, verse 35. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever there is room for you in this verse. There, there's opportunity for you to be able to come and to, to confess your sin, to be able to turn away from your unbelief and to accept Christ as your Savior. There's room for you to do that today. I invite you to do that today, to, to take a place in the family of God. Jesus is saying there is a place for you in the family of God. And so then what would be doing the will of God? Well, remember the question we started with. What do you think about when you hear family? It could be the people that are born to the same father. It could be love and closeness and intimacy, happiness, and even conflict. The church, the family of God in this time, is the place where we put on display the character of Christ. Where we put on the brotherhood and the the sisterhood of Christ, where we put on the love and the compassion, where we put on the conflict at times. It's most clearly displayed. That's the plan. And so if we're not engaging in that plan, then it feels like the plan is not working. And so what what God is calling us to do is then to do the will of the Father, that first we would give full honor and worship and glory to Jesus. We'd turn from our sins. We'd accept him as our Savior So faith in Jesus is the first thing that is the will of God. Then the fruit, the evidence of having faith in Jesus is acting like you're a part of the family by inviting others into the family. That's what Jesus did. He he did that because he was reflecting the Father. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. He came to serve, not to be served. The end of the story, his brothers come to faith. James, one of those brothers that's named, comes to faith. And he writes the book that, that goes by his name. And um, in James chapter 1, he says this. This is one who is now uh, the, the brother of Christ. He says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, And to keep oneself unstained 
from the world. Caring for the widows and the fatherless, the the lonely, the singles, the weak. We look most like Jesus when we invite outsiders to become insiders, to become family. And so as we're seeking to do the will of God, that's what we're looking to do from this text. We're looking to invite others in to be part of the family. And so these are the takeaways. It would be that we would invite others into the family. And for those of you who feel like you're on the outside, include yourself in the family. Come forward. There are a number of you. I'm not going to look at you right now. So if I'm looking around, I'm not looking at you. There are some of you who will leave immediately after the service. I've tried to catch you six times. I'm, I'm not slow. I, I, but, but I can't catch you. I beg you to come and meet me. I beg you to, to come and start a relationship. I, uh, I, Christina and I love the 20s and 30s ministry. Uh, if you're in your 20s and 30s and you're single, I would love to talk with you. When you give me a microphone, this is what I do. Um, but I want you to know that that is the will of God, that we would be connected to the family of God. Other takeaways would be community groups. Community groups, we meet on Sunday afternoons and we discuss the morning sermon. We do that by regions. We do that five to ten minutes from your home. We try to find you a group. And it, it, is, it is not a matter whether you're a woman or a man or a single or a widow or a couple. We are all one in Christ. And so I invite you to, to look into community groups. We intentionally create room for this type of care in these groups. And so that would be a way that we could, we could follow up. Uh, you don't have to allow your anxiety or your shame or even your depression to keep you from being part of the family. You can be known in those community groups. Uh, deacon care groups are something that we do, and this is why it's so important to be a member because whenever you become a member of Bethel Baptist Church, we believe in this family idea. And so you get assigned a deacon who will talk with you at least once a month. And, and you can reach out to them if you need help. They are the, the helper, the, the hand between the pastors and the people. Because we're over time, I'm not going to have my deacon stand. But that's okay. So uh, the thing I want you to know about that is that it is so important that you get connected through membership as well. A big picture, consider fostering and adoption. There's nothing more Christ-like. There's nothing that reflects more the character of God like adoption. Literally inviting an outsider to become part of your family, there is such a need for this type of ministry, and, and I just want to commend those who are already active in it. And so maybe that's a big picture. Now a smaller picture would be meet one new brother or sister today. Just a small step first. As we move towards sharing in communion and celebrating our unity and remembering Christ with one another, would you take that small step today to get to know your family? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the time that you give us in your word. I pray for the opportunity to be known in the family. Father, I pray for the opportunity to, to be able to, to know others in the family. And Father, if there are those who are here or who are listening who have not accepted 
your Son as their substitute, as their Savior. Father, I pray that today would be the day that they would be added to your family. You said, whoever does the will of God is your brother and your sister. So, Father, I pray that that hearts would be moved in that way. And I pray that you would give us opportunity now to celebrate your death that unites us with the hope and eternal life that we know is to come. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.